17, please, and Luke 21. The Holy Spirit has moved me in the direction to continue from the thoughts and teachings of last Sunday. When I spoke to you from the 21st chapter of Luke, I'll return there in a moment. When I spoke to you about world events in recent weeks, months, etc., and biblical events, last Sunday I spoke to you on this subject that is projected on the screen, signs. And I told you last Sunday that there would be signs in the world that would confirm the signs already predicted in the Word. I told you last Sunday that just as there were signs that preceded the coming of Jesus as a virgin-born, the virgin-born Son of God, the first coming, there would be signs that precede His second coming. Luke chapter 17, verse 21, verse 26 actually, here we go, 1726, if you're there, say amen, and as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man, they ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Then the 21st chapter, please, for a little bit of what we shared last week, beginning at verse 25. And there'll be signs in the sun, in the moon, in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's heart failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heaven, heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, Look up. Lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Keep the Scriptures open to that passage and we'll see what the Lord would enlighten us with even more. Bow for a few more moments. Lord, I I thank You for this lovely congregation. I am honored. I am here with fear and trembling. It may not be outwardly visible, but I am here with that fear and trembling that I don't abuse this Word nor exploit these people. Fear and trembling that knowing that one day I'll answer for what I left out that should have included, and I'll also answer for what I included that should have left out. Fear and trembling because time is running out and much is in the balance. But I also have hope and joy because I've seen what God's Word can do when no power else could do. Amen, church? I've seen miracles and Signs and wonders fulfilled in my lifetime to let me know that the best is yet to come. And I praise you for, for the fact that this Word is going to find a resting place in good ground. And we're not going to be hearers only, but we're going to be doers. 
And if that's your desire, would you say amen? And thank you for the word. And Lord, and you may be seated. Thank you for your faithfulness on this special weekend. This Memorial Day weekend causes us to reflect on the lives of the men and women who paid, as we've been already informed, they paid the ultimate price and offered the ultimate sacrifice in defense of the country and the freedom, freedoms that we enjoy. I, uh, I like this thing of studying history. I wish that I was more informed than I am, but I, I like it, and it was one of my major in college and graduate school. And and when I come to times like this, I uh, think about history and what it teaches us and how valuable it is to know that when we look at history, we uh, we can avoid some of the tragedies and pains of the past so that we don't repeat some of the things that cause us to be wounded and devastated as a nation or even individually. So at times like these on the Memorial Day weekend, I'm caused to reflect on the enemies of America and how down through the years they have wreaked such awful devastation Some of the greatest loss of lives when you study the wars America has been involved in, some of the greatest loss of lives have come through the element of surprise. I think of uh, Pearl Harbor when it was a quiet December morning on those beautiful Hawaiian islands when out of nowhere... Japanese bomb-laden planes filled the sky and unleashed their deadly payloads on what would be unsuspecting sailors and soldiers of our U.S. forces. Surprise attack. Hundreds, hundreds, and thousands of lives were lost. None of us would forget September 11, 2001, I presume that everybody in this sanctuary, because of your age, perhaps would know where you were and what was going on. Again, it is in my estimation the element of surprise that brought so much destruction. Wouldn't you agree? Airplanes commandeered, passenger airplanes commandeered by Muslim extremist terrorists, airplanes exploded into buildings causing unparalleled destruction and grief over which our nation has not yet recovered, nor will ever recover, and we will never, never be the same, always looking over our shoulders. Am I right? Hundreds and hundreds and thousands of lives lost. Unlike the enemies of America, the Lord Jesus Christ desires to save lives. Say amen. 
The Lord is not our enemy. When you hear me read verses like this that talks about signs and announces the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and verses after that that talks about impending danger and world devastation, it's not that it's going to come on us like a surprise attack. The Lord is our Savior. And I told you last week that before God gets ready to do anything of great significance in the world, He precedes that with signs and warnings and other kinds of indications that He's getting ready to do something great. And the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's been over 2,000 years now, was predicted by Jesus Himself, those who preceded Him as prophets and teachers and those who followed Him after His ascension. And repeatedly they said, don't let it take you by surprise. Don't be caught unaware. Yes, He will come with a certain element of surprise. The Bible says He will come like a thief in the night. But you will have enough signs and the stars and the heavens and the seas and the mountains and the valleys, all of nature. You'll have signs. Uh, just, and, and, and when you read uh, Matthew 24 and you read Luke 21, etc., just, just so many different kinds of signs. And the Lord says the only element of surprise is, is that I'm not going to tell you the day or the hour I'm coming. I just want you to be watching and be ready. I want you to be serving me. I want you to have a relationship with me. So I'm not telling you the day or the hour I'm coming because I'm not just trying to sell fire insurance. You see, the Lord knows the wickedness of the hearts of people of this world, so He knows that if He said in a prophetic way that I am coming on May 25, 2008 at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, Eastern Standard Time, U.S., that He knows the wickedness and evil of people's heart until uh, some will stay at a church on that Sunday and sin up until 1.59 p.m. You're smiling and nodding because you know, you know how it is. Okay? God didn't send His Son, Jesus Christ, to die outside of Jerusalem in, in shame and horrendous suffering, uh, semi-naked, suspended between heaven and earth, when the, earth refused to, uh, to, the sun refused to shine, the earth shook under the cross. God didn't send His Son, Jesus Christ, outside of Calvary, the sinless Son of God at Calvary, to die for our sins, to make a movie or to write a book. He, he, he sent His Son so that we could, be, we could be saved if we believe on Him and more... And along with being saved, have a living, breathing, everyday relationship with Him, not just a minute before the rapture. That's why the element of surprise is there, is because He wants a relationship. And so I, I say to you this morning that the devil, ever since he wreaked havoc in the Garden of Eden, ever since he rebelled against God in heaven as one of the high-ranking angels and was kicked out of heaven, he is doing and has done his best to try to destroy everything that's good and wonderful that God blesses. The devil, the devil has a plan for your life and God has a plan for your life. And Jesus came to destroy the devil's plan for your life. Say amen. Oh, I feel it coming on already. The gentleman from whom I learned this emotion of whoop glory, I'm told this weekend it saddens me. Brother John Carter is 93 years old. I learned that expression how to get... He's 93 years old. He's hospitalized and he's on his way to heaven. And that saddens me. He, uh, it's not my message. It just overflows, you know. 
the nurse came to do his blood pressure yesterday. He's an uncle of Pastor Charles Gann, who is my father-in-law, my wife's father. And uh, the nurse came in on yesterday to do the blood pressure, and he, he said to her, Ma'am, you won't be needing to do that a whole lot more often. She says, Well, what do you mean? And he says, Well, I'm getting ready to, to go to the Good Shepherd. Now, if you ain't born again, if she wasn't born again, I hope she is. She don't even know what he's talking about. <laughs> She's thinking the man's 93, he's going to die. I just kind of check his blood pressure as long as I need to. And that's all. And then, then they brought in some food for him yesterday, and he says, I, I really don't feel like eating any food. I'm, I'm right now eating manna from heaven, bread of heaven. He said, I would tell you, he ain't talking out of his head. If he's ever got his head, he's got his head now. And from him, years ago, I learned, you know, some, most of us are, we model what we've learned, right? Most of us are, uh, uh, are not very original, and, and it's, it's good to be, but sometimes. But I, I learn how to praise God more boldly. When I say I feel a whoop glory coming on, it's from him. He passed it on to me, and I'm going to sink it on you all when you don't like. See, what I'm going to see in heaven is I'm going to see some of your sophistication in heaven. I'm going to see all your inhibitions gone. Now, you don't have to be like me, but for goodness sake, if something gets in your shoes beside your feet and runs up and down your back and your spine besides your sweat, and you know it's the power of God. Something When some divinity gets in this humanity, sometimes you've got to go, whoop, glory. A little higher and louder. <laughs> Satan's got a plan for your life, and God's got a plan for your life. And Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil because he wants you to be eternally with him. Here's another sign. Here's a sign. I'll pick it up. A multiplication sign is a sign that is going to be evident prior to the coming of Jesus. You remember I read to you in Luke 17, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And in Genesis 6 and 1, the Bible says, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth. This is, these are the verses preceding Genesis 6 and 5, 7 and 8, where it talks about the destruction of the world by way of the flood. And it talks about God going to judge the world and He commanded Noah to build an ark for the safety of His family and all those who'd be, who would receive uh, the salvation that God's giving the world. And prior to that, the Bible says there was a population explosion during the days of Noah. And as it was in the days of Noah, the world multiplied. And while it's a good thing for the world to multiply, it also multiplied in its sin and its rebellion and its disdain for God. Can I get an amen here? And, and that same kind of stuff is taking place in the world today, multiplication. Now, here's, here's something you need to know. We are, uh, as, as a world, facing the uh, throes of what it would mean for an increased population of our globe in light of limited natural and human resources. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, what I'm saying is that in the country of China, some years ago, they made a law that uh, a family could only have one child per family. To have more than one child per family in China would open oneself up to persecution and prosecution and other kind of legal troubles because China realizes that it's populated its country so much until it's, uh, it's, it's so heavy with uh, the, the throes of what an overpopulated country can do or cause that they have to curb its growth. Let me suggest to you that, that, put on the screen if you will for me. Let me show you how rapid this world has multiplied since the day of Adam, okay? For those who do numbers. Since Adam until the year 1830, the world was, pause just for a moment. Let me just kind of go and then, then give it to me as I go. One billion people from the day of Adam till 1830. From 1830, 30 days, 30 years later, 30 years later, pardon me, 100 years, 1930, there were 2 billion people on the earth. 
Then from 1930 to 1960, a period of 30 years, the world population stood at 3 billion. Fifteen years later, in 1975, the world population totaled 4 billion people. Eleven years later, in 1986, the number of the world population was 5 billion people. Eight years later, in 1984, we are told by those who keep the numbers there were 6 billion people in the world. Since that time and now, I don't have the most recent number, but since that time, we're told that at the turn of the century, there were over 7 billion people on the face of the earth. Now, I'm not against you having a family. I'm not against people having children. But I'm saying to you that this world is what it is. And in an overpopulated world, there are the possible problems of serious economical and sociological problems. There is the problem of unemployment. There's the problem of crime. There's a problem of robbery. There's a problem of violence, hunger, and starvation, and disease, and all manner of other things that an overpopulated world, limited as it is, cannot afford itself by replenishing itself. And the Bible says, as there was is in the days of Noah, an overpopulated world, overpopulated with a lot of wickedness, so it will be in the days of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody know that's truth? Say amen. Let me give you another sign, please. Sign number two. Sign number two speaks to us, if you will, about this thing called mental sign. And in this understanding of mental sign, in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, the scripture says, Before the day of the coming of the Lord, even way back in the book of Daniel, and you ladies have been studying Daniel for the last 12 weeks uh, with the teaching ministry of Beth Moore under the leadership of my wife, and what a rich study you've enjoyed for the last 12 weeks. I'm going to make it my personal discipline to to do those studies also because it's so powerful. Daniel is is a book that has to do with human dilemma as well as prophetic events. Long before Jesus ever came into this world, Daniel was prophesying that after he came and would be crucified, buried, and resurrected, that he would come again. And Daniel said, before the day of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning the Messiah, he said in chapter 12, verse 4, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. He means that world communication will increase, world transportation will increase, and knowledge will increase. And I am saying to you, put the next bullet up, if if you will, there has been a rapid progress of knowledge in the world in the last 100 years, and especially the last 25 years. Could you say amen to that? In my reading, I've come to understand that man's knowledge doubles in less than six years. I believe it doubles even more than that now. I've also read by the time many medical students graduate from medical school, much of their earlier training is already obsolete. I've read also where printed materials, like we read in our libraries, printed materials doubles in less than five years, or 15 years, pardon me, and I can't read what we got already, much less to have it double. Technology, for example, has developed the laser beam, which, as you know, is a concentration of energy in a pinpoint of light. And the laser beam is now used in various forms of surgery, sometimes requiring only a small incision and, at times, no incision at all. It is amazing to me today that we talk in terms and language now that have to do with the increase of communication and technology and medicine and all kinds of stuff. We call words and use words now that 10, 15, 20 years ago were were just not available to us. And if we spoke in them, somebody would think we're out of our mind because of the increase of knowledge. Streaming video. Blogging. What is that? 
I know what a flogging is. Podcasting. Emailing. Wireless. Google. Outsourcing. Digital. The World Wide Web. Instant messaging. Text messaging. Some of us have got technology we pay a lot of money for because everybody else has it and we don't have a clue how to use it. We're about like the church, a small country church getting ready to take a vote for new light fixtures. Trying to raise some money. And the vote came up and, and somebody said, yes, we, we do. And another person said, what we need is some chandeliers in this church. One guy stood up and said, I've been here a long time. We don't need any chandeliers. And if we got them, folks wouldn't even know how to play them. Oh, we needed some lights. That's what he said. I got a cell phone that could cook everything but bacon and eggs. I got a cell phone that could take pictures and messages and whatever. And, and, and when I, when I, I don't even know how to send a text message. That's probably a good thing because then you'd send it to me and I'd have to respond. But, but we're living in a different time. We're living in a time. Listen to this. Computers now exist that can assimilate all 850,000 words of the Bible five times over in one second. Com- computer chips no larger than the fingernail of your little finger can store millions of items of information. There is a calculator that can make over one million calculations in one second. Some of you are laughing at me because they probably can do more than that. Now my information is old. You know, I, I was reading from a book that is in my wife's library. The name of the book is called... The world is flat. It's not a theological book. It's a book about uh, world events and, and how it pertains to technology and advances the world. The book is written by Thomas Friedman, who is a journalist and a writer. And, and I read from page 39 of the book where he talks about, which was amazing to me, about how advanced technology is and how very beneficial it is in this thing of warfare in America and other parts of the world, especially Iraq. And Mr. Thomas Friedman says, on one occasion he had the opportunity to visit with a high-ranking military leader from the U.S. forces, visit Iraq. And because he had permission uh, to travel with him as a journalist, he had the opportunity to wander from tent to tent and place to place at one of the command centers, U.S. command centers in Iraq. And he tells in this book how he wandered into a particular tent and he observed a U.S. soldier monitoring image, images on a screen of his laptop. And he asked the U.S. soldier what he was doing. And Thomas Friedman in his book, The World is Flat, says that the U.S. soldier explained to him that what he's seeing on the screen is a U.S. predator drone, the R-O-N-E, a drone being a small pilotless aircraft with a high-power television camera. And this drone was flying over an Iraqi village and feeding real-time intelligence images back to his laptop and his flat screen. This drone was actually being flown and manipulated by an expert who was sitting back at Nellis Air Force Base in Las Vegas, Nevada. There's more. Meanwhile, the video images that was being beamed down from the drone in Iraq was being watched simultaneously by the United States Central Command Headquarters in Tampa, Florida, and by CENTCOM Regional Headquarters in Qatar, 
in the Pentagon and probably the CIA. Amazing to me. A pilot this plane with a high-powered camera being remote control. It's in Iraq, halfway around the world, being controlled by somebody in Las Vegas. And the information being fed back there in Iraq and all over the world so that military personnel can make judgments. I tell you, brothers and sisters, that I'm not against the increase of knowledge. I'm not against the conveniences of the increase of knowledge. But whenever the increase of knowledge says to us that we don't need God and there is no God and that we are sufficient by ourselves and humanism is the religion of the day, then we are putting ourselves in danger of the judgment of God. Can somebody say amen or me? I want us to learn. I want us to have books. I want us to have computers. I want us to have technology as long as we don't abuse them. But we are going to be like the crowd that God had to deal with when you heard about and you read about in the Bible the Tower of Babel. How many know what I'm talking about? They wanted to build a tower up to God, to be like God. They didn't need God. And that's that's the kind of humanism we're experiencing here in America. This humanism and relativism that says, and, and a lack of moral absolutes that say we are the determiners of our own destiny. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. There will never be a time where we won't need God. If one for the mercy of God, Satan would have already obliterated our nation and us. Thank God for people who still love God and serve God and fear His Word and say, God, I'll always need you. Well, give Him a good hand clap of praise. Yeah. Here's another sign, this mental sign. It speaks of the pressure on men's heart. The Lord says that there will be, if you look at chapter 21, are you there? Would you say amen? Chapter 21, it says, verse 25, And there will be signs in the sun and the moon, the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. The word distress here means pressure from the outside. There will be pressure upon us, individually and collectively. The word perplexity here means no way out. The world, the flesh, the devil, sin, our own disobedience. And the pressure of worldly thinking, worldly ways, worldly attitude, political correctness, we all want to fit in and belong, will cause great stress to us. The pressure from the outside. And then we'll come to the place where the, the Bible says there'll be perplexity. Perplexity meaning that, that we'll feel like there is, there is no way out. In the midst of all the improvements and advances of medical science, there are more people on prescription medication that have to have an upper to get up in the morning and a downer to lay down at night and something to sustain them in the middle of the day. In the midst of all the technological advances that we have in America, the, the, probably the, one of the biggest uh, making industry in this country is the drug industry that produces all kinds of drugs for whatever our ailments are, advertising its benefits but limiting us in our knowledge of its uh, side effects that are negative. And what I'm saying to you is that these things, we find that we find that the highest rate of suicide is among some of the youngest of our age groups in America. Something's wrong with a country like that. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the pressure on men's heart, fear coming upon them, a, a, a fear of, uh, because here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking this, and I'm not trying to create fear in your heart. Stay here for the whole word. But here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that, that the the... Islamic extremist terrorist kinds 
are looking for another opportunity that is greater and more devastating than 9-11, the element of surprise. You and I both know that since 9-11, there have been the, the unleashing and unfolding and spoiling of a lot of plans of a lot of th- terrorists that if they had their way, they would have blown up more stuff already. Uh, what, what I'm saying to you, brothers and sisters, is that these are evil and wicked days. Sometimes I don't want to hear the news. I don't want to hear the talk show. I don't want to read the newspaper, but not because I want to be ignorant, because, but I'm sick and tired of the devil using these things to put fear in our hearts. But in the midst of all this negative stuff, the Bible says, pray and look to God and lift up your head and stay faithful. Read your Bible. Go to church. Have a relationship with God. Because in the midst of all these things, Jesus said, My peace I give unto you, not as the world give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I want to tell you, in the midst of this evil world, God will give us a peace that the world cannot give and the world cannot take away. If you believe it, give God a hand clap of thanks. The pressure on man's heart. We're told about stresses and strains and struggles and sins. You don't have to have be bound to medication. You don't have to see your doctor every four weeks to know whether you're good or bad. Stay on your knees. Read the Bible. Go to the house of God. Confess your sins and live with God and He'll give you peace. The world can't give. But there will be these signs. And I'm not just saying them to you because I'm looking for something to preach. I'm saying them to you so that you don't get caught by surprise. There, there is this thing, the multiplication sign and the mental sign. But there's a third sign, the moral sign. I spent a little bit of time on this last week. And I, I won't repeat what I've said then. But I'll take you to a verse of scripture or two in a moment that... I didn't take you to last week. As it was in the days of Noah, before the destruction of the world by way of the flood. Now you need to understand that God's gracious and merciful. He's not our enemy. He gave Noah's people in Noah's day a hundred years to get ready. And still, they laughed at him, mocked at him, called him a senile old man. Until the rain started falling from heaven. It never rained before then. And since Calvary, we've had 2,000 years. I think that's a lot of time to get ready. Since you've been born and you've come to the age of discerning what is good and evil and been taught the Word of God and offered the Savior, you and I have been given that amount of time till now to get ready. Oh, help me, Jesus. You see, one of the things I wrestle with is I don't want to just give you content and information. I want to get you ready. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Soon. It's sooner than you think. And one of the signs that tells you that you are even the generation that will see the coming of Jesus Christ is because the wickedness of man was great in the earth in the days of Noah And every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And that same kind of wickedness and even more intense have now infiltrated our world. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean 1 Timothy chapter 3. I mean the Apostle Paul preaching about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to his generation. And asking them to pass it on to the next generation. He says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. 
For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers. I mean, are we already there? Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. In the last days, look at verse 5, there'll be those who have a form of godliness. They know how to go to church. They know how to look good. They know how to, to appear as everything is right with God. They know how to do their social obligation about spirituality, having a form of godliness, but no power. Paul says, stay away from that kind of people. I am telling this to tell you that when you read, the most recent paper I read was yesterday's paper, Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and... Uh, when I read yesterday's paper and today's Bible, I see all that. I see it. We deal with it all the time. Lovers of themselves. Have you ever seen a more egomaniac society than this day and time? Don't point to anybody. Have you ever seen people more wrapped up in me, myself, and I? They don't really know what they want think they want to tuck in some stuff and suck up other stuff and extreme makeover other things. I know one is a lonely number and this is what's happening in this pulpit. I'm the only one. But... And then I'm told now that uh, plastic surgeons are making a, a lot of money on undoing what was once tucked in. Because they don't like it tucked in anymore. What was once implanted. Oh, Jesus. Hey, summer's coming. Summer's already here. As your pastor, let me just say to you that when you come to the house of God, even out there, stay covered up. Summer's coming. You know? But people are so about themselves that they, they want to show it. And I heard one preacher, Central Church of God, Pastor Loran Livingston, pastors 6,000 people, the average attendance in his church every week. And Pastor Livingston said this, and I thought, you know, that's good enough for South Metro Ministry too. He said, uh, if you ever, if in your dressing and attire, you got to keep pulling and tugging and moving and shifting stuff, uh, he said, you ain't got on enough material. He also said, and I'm, I'm putting this on him now because I intend to continue pastor. He, he, he also said, just because you bought it and paid for it, don't mean you got to expose it. Well, little preacher, we was going to come back to this church because we thought you were cute. But we'll go someplace else. I'll still be cute. Anyhow, let's, let's move right along. Let, let me say this to you, okay? This, this moral problem in America. If you want to know what a culture or a people, do your history, what they value and what they cherish. Study their arts, study what they print and what they write and their arts. And in our day and time, study the arts and the music. And it'll show you what that culture values. Okay? So, so what I'm saying to you, and I need to say it with haste here, 
I am suggesting to you that verse 2 of this says, For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers. And I'm telling you the arts and music in America today are filled with this kind of theme. Proud, blaspheming, disobedience, unthankful, unholy. Study our culture. There's never been a, a generation of music that is more defiant and blasphemous and proud than this day and time. The lyrics of today's popular music often glorifies sin and rebellion. The lyrics of today's popular music and the so-called art world screams in the face of God. What we in America call art is amazing. I see some things called art and music and dance and, and, and other kinds of things. And I'm thinking, you never had an art appreciation course. But our music and our culture and our arts and sciences especially. Think, think about the names of, of, of the groups that bring the music. And you'll see the moral condition of our country. Names like, uh, and this may be outdated names, like Dictators, The Stranglers. These are names of groups. Sex Pistols. Is that our culture? Some names I probably don't even say from here, but it wouldn't surprise you. Th- think about uh, the, the, the moral decline of this country. The volume is loud. The words don't make sense. And, and most of it is right out of the pits of demonic powers of hell. They glorify disobedience to the police, to the law, and to the parents, and to God. I want to tell you something. This world is not my home. I, I love you. I love my family. And as long as I get to live and preach, I want God to take care of you and take care of us. I want you to have a nice house, to drive a good car, to have good food, to have healthy bodies. I want you to have nice things, but all those things are going to rot and decay and go away. This is not our home. There is coming a new heaven and a new earth. And there's coming a world event called the rapture. They're snatching away. And only those who have been blood-bought, washed from their sins, confessing Christ, serving Him and loving Him, will be snatched away. I've got to keep moving. Give me the next slide, please. There's a miracle sign. I touched on this last week, and I'm going to close with it now. I told you the multiplication sign, the mental sign, the moral sign, and now the miracle sign. Oh, Andre Crouch wrote the song. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Anybody ever heard it? Yeah, you have. Oh, my, 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 my. And uh, this miracle sign that some people have forgotten about has been prophesied long before Calvary. This miracle sign talks about the generation that sees these things I read to you begin to happen. Luke 21, 32, Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Now, let me show you what's happening here that I found this week that I didn't find last week. So I'll come back to borrow your scripture. 
What does it mean, this generation? Well, the generation that sees the multiplication sign, the mental sign, the moral sign, and, and, and this miracle sign. Give me the next slide. The miracle sign is Israel as a nation. I told you last week that in the year 70 A.D., I said, wow, wow, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, in the year 70 A.D., Titus and the Roman legion and, uh, and many more soldiers destroyed Jerusalem and scattered the inhabitants of Israel. Completely tore down the temple, the walls of Jerusalem. Thousands, untold thousands of Jews were horrifically killed. And the rest were scattered to back then what they knew as the ends of the earth. From year 70 A.D., until 1948, last century, the year 1948, Israel had no homeland, no nation, and they were not a people with their own land. And the Bible prophesied that before Jesus comes again, Israel will be restored as a nation. We're told in the book of Ezekiel how the prophet Ezekiel was taken by God in a vision, in a dream to a valley of dry bones. Just kind of get this in your mind, if you will, okay? God shows Ezekiel a large valley. Wide valley. Bones upon bones upon bones upon bones. Innumerable dried human bones. And God, God said to Ezekiel in the vision, can, can these bones live again? Ezekiel says, only you know God. And God said to Ezekiel, speak to the bones that they would live again. And Ezekiel spoke. Look at the screen. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to bone. Verse 8. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them and the skin covered them over. But, but there was no breath in them. Well, what, what, what good is a, a, a valley of corpse? These bones, somehow mysteriously by God, begin to find the, the right connections. And then Ezekiel prophesied and flesh came on them and they were just a valley full of flesh-filled corpse. But look at verse 9. He said to me, God speaking to Ezekiel, prophesy to the, to, to, to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath came unto them and they lived and stood on their feet an exceeding great army. Next scripture, if you will. Then he said to me, son of man, look here it is, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost and we ourselves are cut off. Pause. Don't go any further on the slides. Listen to me. Okay. What happens is for hundreds of years, Israel, our bones are dry, our hope is lost. We ourselves are cut off. Until 1948, in one day, God brought Israel back as a nation. 
one day. It's been, this year is the 60th birthday of Israel as a nation. And Satan has done everything in his power to try to kill God's people for hundreds of years. Give me, give me the next scripture, if you will, now. Come to the music. Then he said to them, Thus says the Lord God, Surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations. I told you they were scattered all over the world. Everybody still with me here? Wherever they have gone, and I will gather them from every side and bring them back into their own land. Is there another verse? Put it on the screen. He says, I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be over them, and that's King Jesus. I wish somebody would say amen. They shall no longer be two nations, nor shall they be divided into two kingdoms again. One more verse, if you will. And it says here, they shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will deliver them from all the dwelling places in which they have sinned, and will cleanse them. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. L- l- listen to me. Put, put it on the next screen. Put it on the next screen. In 1917, there were 25,000 Jews living in what we know today as a holy land. In 1922, there were 83,000 living in what we know as a holy land. 1932, still not a recognized nation, there were 180,000 Jews. In 1935, there were 300,000. Somebody's coming home. Yons ain't hearing me out there. Before they even become a nation, there's a homing device in them. Jesus is getting ready to come. There's a homing device in Jews all over Asia, all over Europe, all over South America, all over Africa. In 1945, three years before they become a nation, 500,000. And today, that's an old number. There's about 7 million Jews back in Israel. Now listen to the pastor, okay? I showed you a moment ago, verse 32, chapter 21 of Luke. This generation shall by no means pass until the Lord comes. Let me explain it to you. The word generation has been defined as a 40-year span, a 60-year span, a 100-year span, and a 1,000-year span. The word generation has been described as that. And each of them have their validity for why they were called these time spans. But also, the Holy Spirit dropped in my thinking this week and in my study, the word generation can also be translated race. A race of people. But still with the pastor, say amen. This race of people shall not leave this world until the coming of the Lord. There's only one race of people that I know of in history that still exists among us as a continued race of people ever since Abraham. And that's the Jewish people. Somebody help me preach here. Ever since God, oh, help me, Jesus. Ever since God said to Abraham, get up, go. I'm giving you a land and a country. You don't know where it is, but I'll tell you when you get there. And I'll multiply your seeds like as the number of the stars of the heaven and the sand of the sea. God, through the years, in, in spite of the Hitlers, in spite of the Hezbollahs, in spite of Hamas, in spite of the president of Iran, in spite of all their neighbors, Israel is bordered by Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, Egypt, and the Mediterranean Sea. Israel is a little old narrow strip of land, and all they, they, they have to walk around just looking over their shoulders. They have bomb shelters. When you travel to Israel, some of you have. There are soldiers everywhere because the devil's plan is to wipe out this race of people because they're God's people. 
But in spite of it, even though they've been given some pretty, pretty, uh, pretty land in some areas, but some rocky land in other areas, the Bible says before the coming of the Lord, the vegetation of Israel is going to be blessed. And now the desert is blooming like a rose. The water is going to be blessed. The families are going to be blessed. The people are going to be blessed. And I'm telling you that this generation is not going to expire because we are the generation. We are the part of the people who get blessed because of Israel. We get blessed because we've been grafted in to the kingdom of God. And I'm telling you, we are not far from the coming of the Lord. Give Him some praise. Stand up. Please. Please. I bless you, Jesus. Oh, help me, Lord. You know, I'll go home and analyze myself after preaching here. And I'll analyze my thinking. And I'll think, I did all that ranting and raving when I should have been civil and intelligent and intelligible. I'll go home and, and analyze myself and wish I was prolific. And then I'll take about ten minutes of that and say, fool you with that junk. I'm a desperate man. And my business is to get you ready. I wish you lived to be a hundred years old if Jesus tarries. But if you live for the next hour, I want you to be ready. Uh, let me tell you something. Oh, well, when he comes, I'll just pray after he comes. If you can't pray now, what makes you think you're going to pray then when the Spirit is departed? And what makes you think you're going to be among those who are here when he comes? Because he's not only coming, he's calling some folks ahead of time. Give me Romans, please. In that I preached all this to you, here's what we're supposed to be doing. And do this. This is what you're supposed to do after the bald-headed preacher preaches to you. This is what you're supposed to do. Knowing the time. I've told you about the times we're living in. Knowing the time that now is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is dearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Amen, church? Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Live for Jesus. I am closing. Go to church every Sunday you can. Read your Bible when you're not in church. Pray every day. Take your children to church. Anybody hearing me? Examine what your children are listening to. Examine where they're hanging out and who they're hanging out with. Cover them with the blood of Jesus Christ. Take them to the house of God. Teach them the Lord. Have a family altar. Pray over your dinner. Pray at bedtime. Serve God. Serve God. Be ready. Don't be surprised. Please bow your heads. Father, I just thank you right now that in spite of my feeble human efforts, you have honored your word. And I ask you this morning to help us today to not live for self alone. And for what we can achieve on our own and enjoy for our own gratification. But let us lift up our heads. Let us look to the Lord. Let us come in His plan instead of ours. God, there are some people here this morning who have not committed to Your plan yet for their life. And it's free. And it's eternal. And it is peaceful. Lord, I ask You for that young man who is hearing my voice this morning. Who may be here just because of his girlfriend. Because he wants to keep the relationship. We didn't come about making a decision. If he needs to, I pray he will right now. And I pray, oh God, the same for the girlfriend. I pray, oh God, this morning for that single adult, that young adult. 
I pray for that person under the sound of my voice who has their name on a church roll. It could even be this church roll, but they're backslidden and they're not ready. They know they're not ready. And I ask that you give them another chance. I pray for those of us, oh God, who've forgotten the urgency of your coming and have failed to share and witness and pray and live right, that we would rededicate ourselves to you. Somebody would say amen to that. Would you lift your hands to heaven with me this morning and offer yourself to the Lord for him to search you and examine you? Would you pray right out of the way you are and say, God, I want to be ready. I don't want to be left behind. Could you offer that prayer? Father, in Jesus' name, not only for myself, but I have others. Come on, pray above a whisper. I thank you, Jesus. Oh, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, I I ask you today to give us a desire for heaven. Give us a homegoing urge like you do the Israelites. Give us, oh God, a, a homing device in us that we long for heaven more than we long for this world. Come on. God, I want to rededicate myself to you. Oh God, I want to rededicate my family to you. God, I want to set out to the scriptures, to prayer, to the house of God. God, I do not want to be attached to the world and the flesh and the devil. I want to be ready for the rapture or ready to die. I want to be ready to go. I don't want to be left behind. And your heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And I know that it's a a holiday weekend and you have things to do. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'm going to ask every person who know that Jesus is coming and you're glad you're ready to offer a prayer now that God will work in these next few seconds for those who may not be ready. Begin to offer that prayer. You say, Pastor Matura, I am not ready and I know it and I'm not here to dress it up with excuses. I want to be ready. I want to be ready. I want to rededicate my life to Jesus Christ or I want to come to Him for the first time. Leave from where you're standing and meet me in the altar and I'll be happy to pray with you. And it won't be laborious and it won't be embarrassing. I, I need to come back to Christ or I need to come to Him for the first time. I need to ask Him to forgive me because... I don't want to miss it. I don't want to be surprised and left behind. If that's you, I'm waiting for you. I invite you. I ask you to come, and we will pray with you gladly. Pray, saints of God. Father, I worship you today. I bless you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Come on, pray with me. I I, I am happy to wait for you a few more seconds, because this, while this service is not being videotaped that I know of right now, heaven's videotaping it. Heaven's got the, if if heaven needs to, I don't think heaven needs any video equipment because God is so powerful, but it will be played back on the day of judgment if you pass up this chance and God is saying, I'm calling you, I'm calling you in Jesus' name. Oh, I bless you, Lord. I bless you, Jesus. I'm waiting on somebody else. Oh, Heavenly Father, I'd rather regret that that I took the people's time a little bit, regret that for just a little bit, but be glad to know that I took a few more seconds and somebody else came in the kingdom. I praise you, Lord Jesus, and I love you and bless you because you're good. You're good, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I worship you, Jesus.